It's time for a new evolution in raising golfers, one that doesn't involve headaches, tears, or heading down the path of unknown. Whether you're trying to introduce children to the game of golf, help them play competitively, or play at a collegiate level, you're in the right place. This show is for any parent, player, or coach who wants to build a better team at home and on the golf course. This is the Raising Golfers Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Raising Golfers Podcast and Happy New Year to you. 2022 is going to be the year of golf, I believe it. 2021 was such a good year. I really loved everything about it in relation to the podcast, my golf business, my golf game, golf my family, and just everything about golf. It was just such a good year, and so I'm so excited for 2022, and I hope you are as well. Now, with the new year starting, we need to make sure that the plan and process we are going to take towards our game is strong. So, today we have a special guest, Dr. Matt Park, who is a sports psychologist and an organizational development specialist for NASA. Dr. Matt grew up playing the game of golf at a very young age and was even internationally ranked by age 14. He had high ambitions to make the PGA Tour and will share his story on how it led to where he is today. All right, Dr. Matt, I'm so excited to have you here on the Raising Golfers podcast. I think today's topic is going to be really beneficial for not only myself, but also the listeners who listen to this podcast. So thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited too, Travis. Yeah, you know, and I I think we have to start with your background because I think you have a very fascinating upbringing and how it relates to where you are today in your profession and what you're doing from a psychology standpoint. So if you could just kind of give the listeners just a little brief background of your history in the game of golf and where you're at today. Yeah. So I, I started, um, golf when I was four years old, you know, a way for my, my dad to kind of babysit me was taking me out to the golf course when I was really young and uh, played competitively ever since I was six years old. So I, I, um, I mean, you and I were talking about the Bay area. So I grew up in the Bay area in San Francisco Bay area. And, um, I played a lot of golf and I had a very unique childhood because my whole life was around golf and competitive golf. So I played at a very elite level at a, uh, and I was ranked as a junior golfer and, um, got a full scholarship to play division one golf. So I went to St. Mary's college and, and, um, when I got to St. Mary's, that's kind of when I started to feel burnout or something happened where I lost my confidence and, and I, I never really, um, could figure out why. So I remember, I remember going to the range and and practicing longer than anyone and harder than anyone. And I tried to perfect my swing. And, uh, in hindsight, looking back, it wasn't my swing. It wasn't my technical game. It was my mental game. And it wasn't until later where I started to, uh, discover this whole field of sports psychology because of that back then it wasn't that popular. I didn't really know about it that much. I knew pros did it, but they didn't really talk about it that much. But when I hired a sports psychologist to work on myself, because I was struggling with confidence and performance anxiety, um, especially with my T-ball, with my, you know, with my drives, that's when kind of a light switch went off in my head where I realized that's what I wanted to do. And so, um, immediately I transitioned my whole like focus in my career to sports psychology. So I got my master's in sports psychology and my professor was saying, 
you know, Matt, they're human beings before they're athletes. So you really have to get to know them and understand them. And so I, um, she, she encouraged me to pursue my doctorate in clinical psychology. So that's what I did. So no way. I, yeah. So I got my clinical psychology, uh, degree and then I did my residency, my uh, pre-doc and post-doc, um, in, at a children's hospital. So for many years, I thought I was going to be a pediatric psychologist working at uh, a children's hospital in the Bay area. So I, I did that and I, I really got, um, it was such hard work. It was really rewarding, but it, I mean, it was really intense and stressful and emotional. And, um, and so, uh, long story short, I, I, um, got a, an opportunity to teach at, um, back in sports psychology at a university. So I was a university professor in sports psychology, and then I got recruited, uh, to actually work for NASA. And so I became a high performance psychologist at NASA and, um, and then, you know, for, for fun, I, I still stay very involved. I have a lot of clients in who are professional golfers and amateur golfers and junior golfers. And I have a junior golf camp, um, really training the mind because, I love what you're doing, you know, really focusing them on a young age. So it's really mm. important to do that. That's such a cool, yeah. you know, story there, I think. And it's, it's quite fascinating just thinking about what you said there and I can relate to, and I'm sure a lot of adults listening could too. It's like, if only we knew what we know now, then like what would have changed and what would things been like? Right. You know, like, and I think the same thing for me with my golf career as a player growing up and like knowing the things I know now, it's like, gosh, if I just had the knowledge then, or if I just had the help at that point, if somebody around me and in my environment knew those things and could help me at that point, you know, what would have happened, you know? And yeah. I think that's probably why who we are now as people, because, you know, we're on this goal and mission as, you know, sports psychologists or coaches to try to help out the youth. And, you know, like, hey, here's the things that we learned now that, you know, we wish we would have known then. And let me try to help you in these areas now. So hopefully you can thrive in the long run, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So important. I think oh. um, exposure and awareness at an early age. Yeah. So, you know, and with that, you know, I'm, I'm curious because we're going to talk a lot about mindset in this episode. You know, mm -hmm. how strong of an influence does our mindset and beliefs have on our general performance of I mean, that would just be probably sports, just speaking generally. Yeah. So mindset and beliefs, I, you know, golf and, and you know, this you're, you're, um, you're around golf all the time and it's such a humbling experience. Golf is so hard. Um, and it's like life and there's so many things that, um, that go into good performance in golf, like, you know, tech technique mechanics, your health, you know, how, how your stress level, your physical condition. Um, but mentality, like your mindset and your belief systems, I think it drives everything. It's, it's really the, the core of, of performance. That's just my, my belief because I mean, your, your swing could be, uh, like really, really good and you can have a great mechanical swing, but let's say you just you're not committed. Something feels off and, and you make that same swing, it, you won't get the same type of results. And, and a lot of times people blame it on the swing and they start changing everything, but really it's, you know, the crux of it, the, the source of it is, is, um, you know, your mindset and beliefs. And, and that is just a lot of 
you know, kind of uncovering and beliefs and mindset is everything. It, it, it really, um, I think it really impacts everything we do in, in life, how we see the world and how we see ourselves. So uh, I believe there's a very strong correlation between developing your mindset, which is trainable, and your belief systems. Um, but we don't really question that. We don't, we don't question the type of beliefs and mindsets that we have. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's extremely fascinating because, you know, and, and I think you could probably, you know, shed some light on this as well. Mm-hmm. I, I believe personally, like even your growth mindset can be almost like categorized. And what I mean by that is like, at least personally, I feel like you could have a growth mindset in one area of your life, for example, right? Whether it's personal finance or whether it's, um, you know, just general growth for you and your livelihood and your family. And then some people, it doesn't carry over to, let's just say, a specific sport. Like, let's say, you know, they're beginning to learn how to play tennis or they're beginning how to learn how to play golf, right? Uh, they have a growth mindset in one area, at least I feel this way myself, but then sometimes they don't in other areas. Is that true? And why is that? Yeah. So, so we have to think about growth mindset. So I love, I love that term, you know, we, uh, Carol Dweck, um, she, she talks about growth mindset being on a spectrum. So I can have a fixed mindset in one area of my life and I can turn around and do something completely different in another area, same person, and I can have a growth mindset here. And, and so our, our mindsets can change based on our circumstances and, and so, um, that's, that's the beauty of it too. Like a lot of times we think that, oh, it's either, you know, either, or I either have a fixed mindset or I have a growth mindset, but that's really not the case. The whole research behind Carol Dweck's work is that, uh, our brains are trainable just like our muscles. So I might not have much muscles on my body right now, uh, because I don't go to the gym, uh, you know, that often, but if I start kind of working out, taking it little by little and just start training my muscles and working with somebody who knows how to develop the body. And I start doing that little by little and I show up every day consistently. And then I'm starting to see a little bit of results and I don't give up. I keep going, keep training it. Then all of a sudden I start getting stronger in that area. I'm starting to see the results. It doesn't, it's not, doesn't happen overnight, but it over time consistently, little by little showing up then we start to see the benefits of it, of the training and putting in the effort and the time. And that's just like our brain and our skills, how we develop our skills, how we develop our intelligence, how we develop in any kind of craft or pursuit that we do, if we just consistently stay at it. And and so one of the most fascinating things that Carol Dweck says is that like our belief system about how we learn impacts the way we learn. So what do I mean by that? Basically, I'm saying if people with a a growth mindset, the reason why they start a project or the reason why they're not really afraid to try is because they have this fundamental belief that they they can learn it, they can grow. They might not get it now, but they use a special word called yet. And it's just a simple word, but you'll hear them say yet a lot. So I don't know how to do this yet. Like, I'm just going to keep trying and I might not get it yet, but this is kind of, this is hard, but I feel like, I feel like I'm getting it and they just keep, keep at it. A person with a fixed mindset. Yeah. Someone with a fixed mindset, they, 
they're often, they have this belief that you're either born with this talent or skill or not. So it's innate. It's something that is um, either given to you or not given to you at birth. And they have a belief system that makes them think that, you know, no matter how much effort I put in, I'm not going to be able to learn it or get it because I either have it or I don't. And that's not true. It's just a belief system that we have. Mm -hmm. So if I had that belief system, no matter how much I try to pursue this skill in golf, I'm not going to do it because I don't feel like I can get it and I don't want to embarrass myself. So I'm not even going to try. So I do something else instead that I'm good at. So I keep doing the same pattern over and over. But so, um, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the, the basis of this, our, our fundamental belief about our learning will impact how we actually grow and how we learn. And now let's hear a message from our show sponsor. Hey guys, this last spring, I teamed up with Operation 36 here at our facility in Carlsbad, California, and it has completely changed my way of coaching and service to my customers. Operation 36 is a developmental golf program designed to take beginners from playing their first round to being able to shoot par or better for nine holes. So here's how it works. Participants attend weekly one-hour classes and work through a six-level curriculum. They then play in nine-hole events once or twice a month with a common goal to shoot 36 or better from different distances. And using the Operation 36 app, coaches can plan programs, communicate with families, and track students' progress. It's really, really cool. If you're a parent listening, search for a program near you on their website at operation36.golf forward slash juniors. And coaches, if you'd like to start a program at your facility, go to the same website, operation36.golf forward slash coaches. With all that being said, I would like to then kind of see, you know, what would be some things that we can then do or implement as adults, whether we're parents or coaches with these junior golfers to start to help improve some of those beliefs and start to help create, I would say, the right type of mindset that is needed to perform in sports and perform in golf. So, you know, where would we start? What type of environment are we looking at to, you know, help these junior golfers out in this area? So uh, that's such a great question because, you know, it's, um, it's something that I'm starting to see a lot with, um, with junior golfers and, and just with our youth. And I I have this phrase that I keep uh, that just, it, it won't go away. And, and this phrase is pursue progress, not perfection. Hmm. And, the reason why it doesn't go away is because uh, every day I, I keep seeing this show up where all these juniors have such high expectations, um, immediate gratification, and instant kind of success. And they they demand or expect perfection. And I think it's this idea of pursuing progress, not perfection, where we're really leaning into um, progress and trying to measure progress more so than outcome. So in, in, in my work, the, one of the first things I do is I, um, I separate what I call a process-oriented mindset versus a results-oriented mindset. Very simple stuff. And a results-oriented mindset oftentimes 
is, is focused and measures their success based on results and outcomes. So what did you score today? What's your handicap? Um, how many birdies did you have? I mean, all great. Ultimately, that's what we're striving for. Right. But, but what we need to really focus on in order for us to get there is developing a process oriented mindset. And, and there's an acronym that, um, that I often teach out of it's called face focus, attitude, commitment, and effort. So focus, attitude, commitment, and effort. And out of these four things, these are direct things that we can control. Um, we, we measure, we, we create little games and we create process goals. So for example, uh, commitment out, out of, um, so let's say, let's talk about commitment. If we were to, uh, let's say we're practicing our putts, like an eight foot putt, rather than measuring how many putts we make in the hole, we, we put it like a, a measuring stick or, a like kind of like a spectrum zero meaning no commitment at all and five being absolute commitment. Uh, I start to, I start to kind of measure myself on how many fives I can get out of 10, you know, putts. Mm -hmm. And then I start to really focus on numbers based on things that I can control and influence directly as opposed to results and outcome. And so one of the things that as a teacher, as a coach, um, and as a student, like a learner of the game, is really trying to set my mindset towards progress and figuring out different ways to set goals that that I can kind of um, directly influence as opposed to outcome-oriented, results-oriented goals. That's great. I love that. How, how long would you say you know those types of goals would last and look like? for a junior golfer? Is this something that's going to last over the entire career for them? At, you know, what point do you start to talk about outcomes, you know, once their process starts to improve, you know, how does that look from a long-term perspective? Cause I think it's great. Yeah, that, that, so great question. So in, in terms of long-term, I think you, you, in, in psychology, we have something called scaffolding. So you, you build little building blocks and you have little thresholds. It's kind of like a video game, for example. So, um, like if you play Mario or whatever, you get to level one and, and once you get to like level three, then if you die, you don't go back all the way to the beginning. You start at that kind of threshold and, and that's really scaffolding where you kind of build upon each other. And so, um, as a player, a, a golfer, especially a junior golfer, as they start to gain confidence and momentum it's really important for us to set up small wins and achievable goals because I think that's what encourages us, right? That's what gets us motivated. And in psychology, they, they often say that you really want to set goals that are, is going to propel someone towards their goals or towards their vision, as opposed to a fear-based response, like avoidance, like I don't want to do this. So you're avoiding and you're, you're exhibiting behaviors to avoid something. Rather than teaching in this type of way of like fear-based style or, you know, if you do this, then this, this is going to happen, you know, and, and kind of, um, you're really wanting to direct them towards something that they're going to be motivated to do. And I think if you can set up small achievable goals and wins and celebrate those wins, then all of a sudden they're going to start getting this momentum and, and that type of, uh, process and teaching 
and learning, if you create that kind of environment where they're constantly looking for things like competing against each other in healthy ways or like trying to attain something, then I think that develops them in a, in a way that's going to carry over into a long-term approach. Um, so like one, one, my, one of my favorite, uh, professional players and their mentality is, is Colin, uh, Morikawa, Morikawa. So he, he's very curious, right. In his approach, he, he's, he's very much process oriented and he's very curious and he takes full ownership and responsibility. If things don't, don't go well, he just takes responsibility. He has that growth mindset and he's just saying, okay, how can I improve one step? Like what, what's one, one small step I can take towards this, not long lofty goals, but how can I just improve 1%? And, and they just focus on that 1%. And I think you can develop that as a junior golfer, just one little small step. How can I improve in this area? What would that look like? And then once I get there, how, you know, how would I recognize that? What would it feel like? How would it be different? And then what's that next step? Yeah, I really like that. I think that was, mm-hmm. I think that was really well described and it, it, it kind of, had a few things that lead into what I was going to talk about next, which is like confidence. And so it's Mm -hmm. almost like by focusing more on the process, the confidence is building along the way. Right. And you know, what I hear a lot, and I heard this a lot, especially when I was coaching golf in China from parents was that if, you know, they say, you know, if my player or my, my son or my daughter gets better, then they're going to have higher confidence. And so the only way that they're going to get confidence and interest in this game is if is that they have to play better. And to play better, they have to have good scores and good results. But I think maybe there, there was some steps that were skipped as far as, you know, what us adults were looking at from that perspective and focusing more just on, you know, thinking about the outcomes, which then helps their confidence. But you're saying, you know, the process needs to be built up. That's probably, I'm assuming going to help with the confidence, which then outcomes will come later on down the road. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned confidence. Um, so confidence comes from two different sources. It, it's not uh, results or outcomes that make us confident. It's, it comes directly from self-talk, the way we talk to ourselves, and body and, and motion, our, our body language, and how we move our body and use our body. So um, before I even get started in terms of this mental training, I, I say three de- uh, ground rules. The first ground rule is mental skills is not rocket science. It's it's things that anyone can learn, and, and you probably do uh, every single day, like breathing. I mean, we all breathe. Mm-hmm. But it's not easy to do, even though mm-hmm. it's not complicated. It's not easy. It's just like going to the gym. You have to show up and you have to do it consistently. You have to train yourself. So that's ground rule number one. Ground rule number two is victory goes to the vulnerable. What does that mean? Basically, it means this stuff will sometimes make you feel very uncomfortable and sometimes naked because it's going to require you to try something new in a matter that uh, in a moment that matters the most. So you're about to play one of the most important tournaments of your life. And naturally we want to go back to old habits. Naturally what feels comfortable, the secure base is what we call it. We go back to old habits because it's, it feels there's that security. What feels comfortable, Mm -hmm. but victory goes to the vulnerable. It's meaning you're trying new skills. You're trying new things. In a, in a moment that matters and 
even if you fail, you fail trying, you fail forward, you, you learn, you take this opportunity to learn and say, okay, what went well? What didn't go well? Well, I was halfway committed. I almost did it. So we celebrate that, that little win of, well, you showed up. I mean, you tried something new, even though it didn't turn out results wise, it didn't turn out the way you, uh, you may have wanted it to, but we can celebrate you even showing up and trying a new skill and doing it. And, and that's going to propel you to advance yourself into developing these new habits. And it leads me to the third and last ground rule, which goes to confidence. Confidence is an action. Confidence is a behavior. It's not a feeling we wait around for. A lot of people think, oh, okay, once I make that birdie, then I'm going to feel confident. Then I can start getting my game back together and, and I can start playing well. There's a lot of players, a lot of very well-known players who wake up in that, mor- that morning of a Sunday round and they might not feel confident. They might not feel like they had their A game, but they still show up confidently they, because you have to train yourself to act and behave confidently. And it's not fake it till you make it, but it's be it till you see it. So it's really using your body, walking in a way where you're just, you just own the golf course. You just own this place. You own your space. You know what you're doing, even though you don't feel it. Because research shows that the way you move your body, motion, the way you move your body creates emotion. So how I move my body, how I conduct myself, how I talk to myself is going to create the emotions and the feelings because those follow what I do with my physicality, with what I do with my body. So you'll see, um, like, for example, Harvard psychologist who wrote the book Presence, Amy Cuddy, she has a TED Talk and she has a TED Talk called Presence. You can look it up and she talks about body, body postures and she calls them power poses so she trains a lot of leaders and, and people before going into a big presentation or big speech or a big tournament or whatever it might be, you go into the bathroom and you hold like a, a power pose in front of a mirror and you hold a very powerful position and you hold it there for about, you know, five minutes and it generates um, all these different chemicals that's going to produce the emotions of confidence. Uh, even if you don't feel it. So you just continue to do that. You continue talking to yourself that way and the feeling of confidence follows. So um, I confidence is a very tricky thing because a lot of people wait for it and they, they feel like something mm-hmm. has to happen externally in order for them to feel it internally. But it's mm-hmm. more of an inside-out approach. You pull it from inside and then outwardly it shows. And would you say that some of these activities you could do with junior golfers or children, like starting from a young age to help boost that confidence from internally to show it externally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A lot of junior golfers, you'll start to notice that they have this negativity bias that it it wasn't good enough. Ah, no. And their, their body posture and they're always looking down. Nah, I just made a bogey on last hole. Even though they they shot 69, it's like, nah, I three put it last hole. It's like, it's always like I could have done better. I could have done more. And they focus so much on the negative. And when they do, when they talk that way, just watch their eyes, watch their body positions, look at their head positions. But it's almost like, okay, we got to get out of that. We need to, we need to train ourselves to use our body differently. So it's almost like 
um, you know, alter, alter egos and superheroes and, and practicing in a way, just be silly and fun, giving yourself permission to use your body and act, um, like your favorite superhero, how would they walk across this room or walk, you know, across the putting green as your favorite superhero? How would they, how would they walk? How would they talk? Mm. And you get them to act that way and just kind of be silly with it. And all of a sudden they start having fun and, and they start to see more of the positives and, and, um, we start to kind of build on that little by little. That's awesome. And so then, you know, with all that being said, I mean, it, it, you've, you've really given some good advice as far as what you would recommend, you know, for, you know, even junior golfers to do. But I think a lot of this advice, us adults listening in, whether we're parents or coaches could probably do ourselves, you know, first and foremost, probably then be able to portray it and help with these junior golfers in these specific areas. Is there any advice that you would give to coaches and parents separately in the act of trying to help out a junior golfer as a whole. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I constantly have to remind myself, especially in, you know, raising our daughter who's six years old is, um, I need to set an environment where, um, I normalize struggle. Like struggling is okay. And oftentimes they're beating themselves up. And I, and I noticed that and how I contribute to that is when I, uh, let's say set up a task that is too lofty or too, too big, too, too, uh, too far into the future. And I start changing the momentum of the environment when I can figure out what's going to tap into their motivation. Like they, you got to want to, like, you got to really pull it out of them. What's going to motivate them? What's going to encourage them? So, um, you know, positive affirmations are great, but a lot of times they're, they're not, they don't mean anything if it doesn't really spark a joy or, or resonate with them. So you, really trying to understand and listen to motivating language, um, where you're setting up things that might challenge them, but in a fun kind of positive twist and in the mind, you got to recognize that the mind doesn't, it doesn't register the words no, or do not, or avoid, or things like that. So if I were to tell you, Travis, like right now, whatever you do, don't think of a blue elephant. Like you can think of anything else. I just don't want you to think of blue elephant. So it's like my dad, he always used to say, okay, don't lift your head. Like don't look up. And immediately, like the first thing I want to do is like, look up because the mind just registers and focuses on whatever it's focused on. So I've had to learn, and especially in raising my daughter, I got to learn to use my language more towards things that's going to, um, positively reinforce them or drive them towards a goal as opposed to things that they were trying to avoid or mm. trying to run away from or mm -hmm. things that they they fear. So I, I've, I've learned to kind of adjust my language to set more reinforcements that they can, they themselves can try to figure out and struggle their way to, to gain, but it's not too hard. And you really stop to celebrate the, the success along the way because life, life is hard. You know, golf is hard. And, and, um, 
people are really self-critical. Like they, they're always really hard on themselves, but to be able to model self-compassion, like how I treat myself, how I talk to myself and modeling that self-compassion for myself first will directly influence uh, the people around us, especially our mm-hmm. youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, and I'm <clears throat> I'm thinking about this, you know, the things that you've just described here and, you know, creating that type of environment. Now, <clears throat> you know, you gave some good examples of setting certain challenges for your daughter where, you know, inadvertently she's going to have to overcome some of the difficulties or mistakes or failures that she's going to make. And they might be at a very micro level in the tasks that you give her. If there's, you know, if golf coaches are listening to this and we're given, let's just say, whether it's task-based learning, skills-based learning, or games-based learning in our lessons, you know, how do we be, how do we create an environment so that we can try to touch as many junior golfers in a positive way to help them thrive in one environment at different levels and different skill sets? Is there any suggestions you would have for that? Yeah. Um, that's like a million dollar question right there. So (laughs) I mean, you have, you have human beings who respond differently to different approaches. It's, it's like a, it's like a manager or leader of a team and everybody responds differently. And you're, you're trying to, you're trying to create an environment that is like, um, you know, productive and, and conducive for all. And it's really hard. It's so individualistic. So, um, there's these instruments that I use. Uh, one is the disc profile or, uh, you know, and specifically I, I have one for golf that I use with a lot of my students, but it, it's really understanding, uh, and a student's internal landscape. So what makes them tick, what ticks them off? Um, what, what's motivating language? What's discouraging language? Why did they get discouraged by these, these type of words? Um, what are certain phrases that I can use? What's their learning styles? So we all have natural personalities. You know, it's it's pretty, you know, everybody's wired, whether you're fast-paced and outspoken or you're more cautious and reserved, or you may be more people and relationship-oriented, or you might be more task-oriented and a combination of those. So you got to really understand as a coach, as a teacher, um, who that person is, you got to really be keen on listening, not just listening um, with what they're saying and what they're delivering, but listening with your eyes. That's one of the most important things is, okay, how can I watch them, their their mannerisms? And, and a lot of times I feel like coaches, myself included, sometimes we can be trying so hard to be communicating to them and we're doing a lot of talking. But if you really listen with your eyes, are they really registering the information? Are they, are they really processing it or, or are, is it overwhelming? Are they shutting down and they're just kind of saying, yes, sir, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, but they're really not connecting. So it's about that connection. You got to really find ways to, to um, find ways to connect with them where it's, you know, it, and once you connect with them, then they will kind of lead you in terms of how much information or how little information uh, that they can take in that moment. And I, I'm always a big proponent of less is more simplistic things that they can feel into less is more and, and have them experiment a little bit and give you reflect reflective comments. Like 
after you teach them something, you pause and you talk about it. You know, how, how was that? What did that feel like? You tell me, as opposed to it being just one direction, you know, one way. And that's for parents too. Um, what's most fascinating research in youth sports is the, the number one reason, there's so many stu- um, kids who are quitting their sports, like baseball and and um, basketball and football, and they're wondering why are they quitting? And the number one reason why these kids are quitting is because um, the car ride home. The car ride home is is one of the reasons why. And and the fastest growing sport in the U.S. is lacrosse. And and it's like why lacrosse is because parents have no idea what the rules of lacrosse is. So they're (laughs) they're being a parent. They're not being a coach. They're they're Mm -hmm. just encouraging. Say Johnny, like wow, you ran really fast. Like you were, you were really fast out there because they don't really know the rules of engagement, Mm. um, with, with other sports. They're so, they're always asking like, why did you do this? What were you thinking over the bat? Or, you know, what, what was that three interceptions? What, what were you thinking? What, what was going on? And, and kids are getting earfuls of, um, lectures from all different, you know, sources. So I think parents, to be as encouraging as possible, you know, to, to parent as opposed to coach, especially during those really crucial times. And then for coaches to be able to listen with their eyes and, and really engage and pause and, and process a lot of processing, a lot of debriefing just to get their learning styles and what's working, what's not. Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah. I think from my experience based on either things I've seen, read, or even had people on the podcast with was there's a very fascinating difference between, you know, the roles of a parent within a junior golfer, for example. So I've heard a lot of junior golf success success stories with parents who knew nothing about the game of golf when the kids got into it. And for the most part, they stayed and kind of did like what you said with lacrosse. They didn't really understand the whole dynamic. They just knew the ball had to get from here to there. And the child was able to progress and thrive. And then I think on the other side, I've seen it too, where maybe there is an adult who played golf maybe at a competitive or a high level and understands the the true difficulties of the game and can still be that encourager and cheerleader and just like, you know, a parent being a parent in that role because they know the nuances and difficulties of the game. But then there's also the middle ground, which I think is the most difficult and probably the most delicate place a parent can be. And that's if uh, from again, this is just my own personal research where, you know, they're a recreational golfer. They're, you know, let's just say they're somewhere between a 10 handicap and 25 to 30 handicap, but they know the game very well. Yeah, that seems to be the most delicate area I've at least experienced with parents involved in junior golfers because um, you know, they know enough about the game. However, it's very difficult, I think, for that range to be able to parent the best because they obviously want to see their child succeed as we all do. But yeah. it's it, it's a fine line of, you know, and that delicate range of, okay, am I parenting? Am I not parenting? Am I talking about the things, the negative things in that car ride home that's discouraging and actually driving them away from the sport as opposed to in it. And um, so when you said that and you talked about that with the cross and that analogy, it 
I, that's what I've seen. And I, yeah. I don't know if there's truth behind it or not, but that's what I've put together in my head. And so yeah. I think, you know, as all of us, it's a very delicate role as just being a parent, but then, you know, raising them up in these sports, especially a game like golf, that's not easy. Right. I think there's um, yeah. a lot of things that you've shared today are very important things that I think we have to take some, you know, serious notes and reflect and, um, you know, really open our ears more to what these junior golfers are saying. And, and, and um, I think we'll yeah. be much better as far as adults helping these junior golfers. Yeah. I mean, parents, I mean, we're, we're, I, myself included, we're all well, so well-intended and we get so passionate because we care so much and we mm -hmm. love this, you know, we love the game. We love our, our child and, and we want to do the best. We want to give them the best opportunities, but a lot of times kids do the opposite. Like they, it's just, it falls on deaf ears. And, and as much as we try to get through to them and we may know this information, I've just learned that I got to be a parent. I can't be a coach especially mm -hmm. to my own child. And as much as I want to, um, it's, it, if I really want the best for my child, I got to really listen more than I talk in terms of this whole coaching approach. I can, I can coach on certain things like attitude and, and focus and, and I can remind them and be an accountability partner for those different things. But a lot of times the most successful players that I've kind of seen they need to take ownership of it. I, I can't constantly have this kind of codependent relationship where they, they rely on me to constantly remind them. I have to find ways to help them catch the fish and want it and, and drive towards it and learn how to get it as opposed to me constantly being there, being that reminder and that accountability person. Mm -hmm. So to set them up is really to encourage them to be more independent, to think more independently, to explore some of the struggle and the challenges together, not having a biased approach by any type of judgments or criticisms, but it's this unconditional love approach is like, no matter what outcome, I'm still your, your dad. I'm still your mom. I'm, I'm still going to love you. Let's explore. Okay. What, ha what, what, what happened in, in a way where they're willing to talk, they feel safe enough to talk where you're not judging them. You're not criticizing. You're just exploring. And, and that's a really, really hard thing to do for mm -hmm. a parent. But to learn that skill is going to really help the child thrive and succeed. Oh, I totally agree. So, you know, before we kind of close out this conversation, I've got one more thing I'd like to ask. I'm very curious about is, you know, how can we then assess whether our junior golfers are improving their mindsets and improving improving their beliefs through this process what do you do to assess that and know that these things are getting better you know it's um it's funny but it's the results like um, is that right I, I i i talk i you know everything that i teach is is about process it really is about reflection process small you know controllables but ultimately um, if you work on the process and you work on your mental game and you really put in the work, um, the results show, I mean, it comes as a byproduct. Mm -hmm. So those that really are very meticulous with their process, what, what's happening right now, setting up their pre-shot routine, really committing to it, studying it, seeing how they can grow. And then 
like over time without even realizing it, they get so involved in the task of this process of building this that they're way further along and other people are recognizing, wow, it's like, you know, um, Kyle is like, he's, how is he controlling his emotions so well? Like, like he's, how is he just so focused all the time? Or like people start to see the results of your mannerisms, your, your behaviors, how you react to success, how you react to failures and, and setbacks. Um, because you're just so, but you're not even thinking that in the moment as a student, you're just focused on, uh, the short-term deliverables of, of the mental game plan, just setting up these achievable goals, figuring out what the process is, dedicating yourself to that. And that's all you care about. But over time that builds up into this, this, you know, undeniable recognition of, of the results, whether it's your emotions and how, um, you react and respond um, how your scores start kind of being a little bit more consistent, how, um, you you just start to surprise yourself with more control over your emotions. So you're managing your emotions rather than your emotions managing you. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's huge. You know, I think that's really, really big what you said there. And certainly like you've talked about, I think it, everything is a process and everything does take time, right? But I think doing some of these things and suggestions that you've made on how to improve junior golfers' mindsets and improve the the beliefs that they have, I think all of those things will align. Like you said, then the byproduct is the results. And I think you'll, you'll, you'll probably see marginal gains along the way. And of course, nothing's linear and there's going to be ups and downs along the way. But I think that that was that really summed it up and it was actually an answer i wasn't expecting you to say but as you described it it makes so much sense as well so you know that that's that's fascinating it's extremely fascinating to hear that nice dr matt it's it's been wonderful having you here on the podcast and you know really kind of diving deep into this topic and for myself i've learned a lot of things already so far if Listeners wanted to find out more about what you're doing and some of the resources you have, where would be the best place that they can find those things and find out more about you? Yeah. So, you know, I used to be kind of everywhere, like, you know, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all those places, but I just kind of focused on Instagram. So, um, if you do use Instagram, uh, you know, I'm very active on it so they can DM me. Um, but it's the handle is, uh, Matt with one T underscore park. So, uh, Dr. Dr. Dot Matt with one T underscore park Pierre K, or they can look at my website, Dr. Matt park.com. Um, I do, you know, again, I, this is what I'm passionate in, especially junior golfers and golfers. I, you know, I coach a lot of professionals. I have clients on the LPGA tour, uh, PGA tour, um, you know, I, I built uh, different mental performance training programs for colleges and, but juniors, uh, you know, trying to get them started and get them to get oriented to this whole mindset training is so valuable to the longevity of their life, not just in golf, but in life in general. So, um, please have them reach out, um, on Instagram or, or they can shoot me an email on my website, drmatt.com. And I'll, and I'll, I'll share both of those in the show notes as well for this episode. Yeah. So Dr. Matt, before I let you go, I just got one final question for you to leave us with. 
And what would be your final words of inspiration for raising golfers? Uh, I love this question because it's uh, it's like, you know, it reminds me of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I said this earlier. It's one of the catchphrases that sums it all up. Uh, learn to pursue after progress, not perfection. Because mm. I tried to strive for perfection with my swing, and I think that led to my downfall. It led to burnout, it led to anxiety and stress and constant comparison. Um, but pursuing progress is kind of my own game, right? I can't really compete uh, against anyone else. I just need to focus on myself and and pursuing after progress. Like, how can I how can I grow in this one area? Like, what what can I do right now to get one percent better? And what would one percent better look like? So even like I'm sitting here, and um, you know, I had this. Let's say I'm I'm warming up for a game. What would one percent better look like? How can I define that success? And, and I pursue after that, I pursue progress and I celebrate it, you know, learn to celebrate the small wins, not perfection. Cause there's, you know, honestly, there's no such thing. So it's never enough when you pursue perfection. Uh, so I think that would be my, uh, parting advice is learn to cultivate this mindset of pursuing after progress, not perfection. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Matt, for sharing that and repeating that because I think it's a huge message for all of us who are listening and took the time out to listen to this episode that you've come on and shared with us on the Raising Golfers podcast. Thank you again for taking the time out of your day to come on and spend time with us here on, on the podcast. It's, you know, for me, it's huge to hear these things as a parent, as a coach myself. And I know it'll go a long ways for the listeners of the podcast who are both parents, coaches, and actually in addition, we have junior golfers listening too. So really everybody get your pen and paper out, take a lot of good notes. This is, this is a fantastic episode and thank you again for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you, Travis. All right. That was a fantastic interview with Dr. Matt Park. He shared so much wisdom into how important our mindset and beliefs are. His message to pursue progress, not perfection, is huge. I love that. If our junior golfers, parents, and coaches can all get all on the same page and work together as a team, then your junior golfers' opportunities, I believe, are endless. So you need to begin to take the first step forward in pursuing progress. You need to have a plan, and you need to celebrate all of the small wins along the way. It's going to be a long journey. Just make sure you all enjoy it along the way. Thanks so much for tuning in and look forward to having you guys here back on the podcast next week.